Hello, everyone, and welcome to New Consciousness Review. I'm Miriam Knight, and our guest today is Paul von Ward, an interdisciplinary cosmologist and scholar who has been studying the evolution of consciousness and the place of man within a conscious multiverse. His research interests include reincarnation, the influence of advanced beings on human development, the scope and nature of human and non-human consciousness, religious worldviews in societal conflicts, the reform of social institutions, and natural spirituality. Paul has graduate degrees from Harvard and Florida State University, and during his career he has served as a psychologist, a Protestant minister, U.S. Naval officer and American diplomat. He's the founder of an international nonprofit for cross-cultural understanding and peace and the author of The Soul Genome, Science and Reincarnation, and Our Solarian Legacy, Multidimensional Humans in a Self-Learning Universe. Today, we're going to discuss his latest book, We've Never Been Alone, A History of Extraterrestrial Intervention. Welcome, Paul. It's such a pleasure to have you on the show. Thank you, Miriam. I'm delighted to be with you. A very successful show. (laughs) Thank you. Now, this book had so much meat in it, Paul, I hardly know where to start. So let's start with the question of advanced beings. You lump together gods, angels, ETs, and spirit entities under the, the rubric advanced beings. What defines an advanced being? Well, the reason I use the term advanced beings as sort of a generic uh, way to talk about uh, other beings that we have evidence of in the universe that are more advanced than humans. And by more advanced than humans, I mean that they perhaps have uh, technological advances over uh, human beings. They may be uh, in other dimensionals or in uh, extra-dimensional groups and and areas of the universe that we don't have direct contact with, and that this whole uh, panoply of beings in the universe, I'm sure some are not as advanced as humans, but the ones we're talking about are those more advanced than humans. And so I'm trying to, to get away from terms like gods and aliens and angels and devils and demons and, and uh, you know, uh, those kinds of, of uh, terms because they all uh, come from a particular worldview, you know, a, 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 an a priori uh, concept of what they are by using these terms. And what I've tried to do in this book is to say, let's look at all of the evidence for all of these types of beings that we have accounts of in our history and in our present uh, era. Mm-hmm. Uh, and think of them as natural uh, species, uh, other uh, types of beings, and put ourselves alongside them as, you know, the living organisms of a self-conscious living universe. What has been their role in human history, and do you think they're still with us? Well, I think that they are still with us, and we can talk about examples of that. And I do think that they had uh, impact on uh, our both our physical evolution and, and more importantly than physical evolution, I think our conscious evolution over the last several thousand years. And that's what I focus on more in this particular book, that we've never been alone. Uh, We can just, you know, briefly say something that there's a lot of evidence that they are still with us in one form or the other. We have a lot of uh, concrete uh, evidence to suggest that uh, beings more advanced than humans are in our uh, skies uh, from time to time, uh, have actually had physical contact with some humans. The, the, the evidence suggests that. Uh, we also have reports of, of voices speaking to humans, uh, channeling material or, or communicating through other media uh, from other dimensions. So that, you know, we have that whole uh, phenomenon uh, around us that we're embedded in life in this multiverse of ours. 
And so let's just say that's a given for the moment uh, and then go back into history. Uh, what I try to do is to say, uh, what if the stories from all of our uh, early civilizations were not allegories or metaphors or myths or delusions, uh, but actually uh, interactions with real beings, real uh, entities. And uh, going from that uh, starting point, premise, yeah. a starting point, you know, then we look for evidence that uh, they have influenced us. And so the book is about that, looking at physical evidence, looking at psychological evidence, uh, uh, cultural evidence, etc. Mm-hmm. Yes, I, I um, love the way that you, you talk about these sort of great technological leaps forward, particularly um, post-flood, post-cataclysm. Tell us about the um, the events that transpired about eleven and a half thousand years ago. Okay. Uh, before uh, describing that, I would like to say that I think there is considerable evidence that advanced civilizations existed before this uh, worldwide global cataclysm of about eleven to twelve thousand years ago. Uh, and we could talk about that, uh, uh, and we could say, you know, we don't really know whether some of these advanced uh, civilizations like Atlantis and others that are talked about in, in our uh, history uh, text, uh, are were they human? Uh, were they humans and more advanced beings together? Uh, I think there's a lot of evidence to suggest that we had both uh, advanced beings and humans uh, in that era. But what happened uh, about 11 or 12,000 years ago was a uh, global cataclysm that, you know, we know in our Western culture is the flood. But the flood uh, from the Hebrew text and the Sumerian text uh, don't tell the whole story. Um, And I quote a book that's over 10 years old now, uh, written by a couple of uh, British scholars, uh, uh, Alan and Delaire, who surveyed uh, research from many disciplines, from biology, geology, anthropology, uh, uh, the searches that have been made uh, around the globe to uh, measure and document the effects of this cataclysm. And that's in terms of uh, uplifting of of mountain chains, uh, subsidence of the coastlines of many of the continents, uh, or most of the continents, actually, uh, the uh, tales about uh, a nuclear winter kind of situation where the earth was uh, dark uh, for a long period of time, uh, tsunamis, floods, volcanic activity, and so on. And in that particular book alone, there are about 500 studies that uh, document this kind of material, and they all point to... Uh, you know, our, our testing of dates for some of these things, it's a little bit uh, fuzzy still. But if you look at them as a collection, they all point to this period about 11,500 years ago. And it's interesting that that is also the time that the last Ice Age ended, and it ended rather Abruptly, uh, not uh, the way other ice ages had gradually uh, just petered out at the end. We had a waning of the ice age before that, but it abruptly ended about that time. So what happened is that any of these ancient advanced civilizations are not advanced civilizations. I think we had aboriginal cultures around the world. You had uh, independent cultures of homo sapiens who were outside of this AB human cooperation uh, uh, 
civilization that we might call Atlantis, but that most of those people, most of the humans, uh, didn't survive that uh, cataclysm. And in fact, uh, mainstream scientists today uh, calculate that, you know, at that point, humans may have been uh, down at a level of less than a million, or maybe at most, you know, a million or two uh, humans around the whole planet. So um, what I found so fascinating about the, 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 the flood was that you talk about pre-flood different cults worshipping different advanced beings. And some of them were more uh, predisposed to being kind and helpful towards humans than others. And then the ones that liked their humans... Uh, managed to save some subset of them f- during the flood. I mean, that, that, that's just a kind of a fascinating scenario that you draw there. Well, I think that, uh, that's, uh, the really central point of the rest of human history, that is, since that, uh, cataclysm, because some groups had advice from these more advanced beings, our, our, uh, at least uh, assistance of one kind or the other. For example, up in uh, your part of the uh, world, the the Snohomish uh, Native uh, Americans there talk about their uh, ancient tales of being told that this was coming and that they should get high in the mountains, and they did, and they survived. Uh, We have the story, of course, in the Hebrew text, uh, about Noah and his family being given some advance warning that this was going to happen. And uh, they prepared themselves and survived. And as the floodwaters uh, and the other effects of this cataclysm uh, uh, dissipated, then the advanced beings uh, came back and helped them in terms of technical assistance. And it's interesting that the evidence for this falls in what we call eastern Turkey at this point. Uh, uh, biologists tell us uh, that the first fruits and grains and so on that we can uh, date at this point in time all sort of popped up in that area. And it's also interesting that uh, we now have in the news uh, sites in that area uh, uh, Gobekli Tepe, which is a site uh, in present Turkey, uh, that is dated to that period, 11, 12,000 years ago. Also, uh, uh, Hatal Koyuk, uh, which is another uh, site that is dated to about that period of time. So uh, we see that after that cataclysm, uh, quite sophisticated civilizations popped up immediately. You know, when I was in school, we were told that at that time, uh, people were living in their caves around the world, that that was the Neolithic era, uh, the New Stone Age, when everybody was, you know, more or less cave people and using their stone axes and so on. Now we know that that story was uh, not correct. Mm-hmm. And uh, this... Then, and then much more, which I describe in the book in terms of, of Eridu and uh, uh, Babylon and, and, and so on. Uh, and also on the Indus River uh, uh, side, because there were other examples of advanced beings helping humans to recover. And that was uh, in the Indus Valley, uh, also in the Tian Shan Plateau of China, uh, where we have now found very interesting uh, uh, 10-12 uh, foot high uh, uh, homo sapiens, sapiens uh, and technology. You mean uh, remains of 12 remains foot high? Of, yes. But not necessarily, they're not necessarily that old. Mm-hmm. We haven't uh, dated them. Uh, we've dated some of the artifacts back to 10 or 12,000 years ago. But these um, uh, more Caucasian, uh, large types of humans, uh, which have been totally unknown in our history for all these years, now we understand that that area had the same kind of people that we 
have discovered in the Western Hemisphere, uh, the large giants, and uh, these were uh, obviously humo, uh, Homo sapiens sapiens, uh, uh, but much larger than we are now uh, in, in the Middle East and, and so on. So It's interesting that in the Bible there uh, are uh, reports that people kind of ignore uh, certainly in Christianity, they ignore. They, they, there was this bit about, and, and there were giants walking on the earth, and there was this bit about multiple gods and how the gods, uh, intermarried, um, with the humans, um, that all of these aspects tend to be glossed over in Sunday school or Bible school. Um, you know, this is, it, it, what you have is, is the religions themselves, uh, giving another explanation for that. And then you have the scientific community saying also that this was just uh, magical thinking and, and so on. But the evidence is there. Mm-hmm. And now we don't know how to describe that. And I think what I'm doing with this advanced being intervention hypothesis is that the only explanation for these artifacts, not just the fossils and, and the, and the uh, living sites that we've been talking about, but other kinds of technology, the development of languages, and the fossil record, and our history as we uh, describe today from a DNA perspective. You know, we're going backwards now to say, assume that evolution goes at this rate, at what time was this particular type of human uh, first uh, identified on on this earth. Mm-hmm. And all of those dates coincide with the history that we're talking about here. And that's why I think it's very interesting when you take an interdisciplinary look at this story uh, you began to see all kinds of corroboration of that history of this input into our development as humans, particularly in the Western world, you know, the cradle of Western civilization, as we call Mesopotamia and that part of the, the Middle East. Mm-hmm. It seems that, uh, certainly from the, the myths and legends, that there was actual physical presence of advanced beings on earth. I mean, you, you know, like the, 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 the sacrifice in the temples and so on was actual food for the gods. Um, in, at some stage, uh, this shifted and contact became primarily telepathic and, and remote. When did that shift happen and how, how do you interpret it? Well, it, I don't think we know uh, precisely. Uh, and Zachariah Sitchin, in some of his books, uh, tried to uh, fix this in time, and he suggested that it was about uh, 5,500 years ago uh, as a possible uh, shift, uh, or maybe as more recently as uh, 3,500 years ago. So it's somewhere in there. But I would say we have a pretty good fix on uh, the Yahweh uh, communications with Moses uh, in the uh, Hebrew exodus from, from Egypt. Mm-hmm. And so we are pretty certain that this happened about 3,500 years ago. So what I would say is that uh, at least by that time, these advanced beings, the physical presence and the interaction of the intercourse with humans, the technical uh, work that were uh, works that were uh, products of this collaboration between humans and these advanced beings, uh, it sort of ended at that point. And I think the uh, evidence of the ruins in, in the Middle East, looking at uh, uh, Egypt and uh, what, what is now Iraq and uh, Iran and, and Syria and so on. Uh, th- those ziggurats that were in the stories of the old civilizations, they'd all uh, sort of fallen apart in, you know, the first millennium before uh, the time of Jesus. 
And so that, I think that's the period we're talking about. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And it's during that period when all the cults were, and I call it the era of uh, cults, uh, because what was happening, all of the uh, uh, groups who had been associated with one god or A, B, or the other, they had the descendants of these gods, the hybrids of humans, uh, that you mentioned earlier, uh, those families were still trying to keep those tribes together. And so they continued the worship of the, of, end quote, the God that they were worshiping, trying to keep the sacrifices going and certainly the financial support of the uh, kings and queens and the priesthood. Uh, and that went on for, you know, a uh, uh, couple of thousand years until really up until the 5th century in the current era, uh, because uh, at the I, time... I, I Jesus, suppose one could argue that it went on until the 1800s. Well, I, <laughs> I, would say, I would say that too, except that, you know, the thing that I... The reason I use about uh, four or 500 uh, uh, years A.D. Uh, is that what you had uh, up to the time of Jesus and the Dead Sea Scrolls and the, uh, the Nag-, Nag Hammadi Gospels and those texts that we now have that we didn't have uh, until the middle of the last century, mm-hmm. uh, they uh, were still talking at that time in, their, in the text about multiple gods and all of the different groups were, uh, were aware of that and they were worshiping their God is the strongest one. Mm-hmm. And, and those were stories in the Hebrew text and, 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 and the early Christian text and the Gnostic text and the uh, text of other uh, India and, and, and other parts of the world described uh, these beings that way as physical, powerful, influential, directly engaged with humans. But since they had been gone by then, about a thousand or two thousand years, people were getting uh, the notion that maybe they weren't coming back, mm-hmm. you know. Mm-hmm. And, and, and so things were breaking down, and then we had uh, Christianity, several different versions of it were, was evolving. Yes, Paul, this, this gets us into really fascinating territory. Yeah, because... Uh, I think what happened at this point is you had a uh, melding of the cult uh, culture that existed uh, 2,000 years ago uh, where uh, a major political uh, military force, that is the Roman, uh, what was left of the Roman Empire, uh, the the leaders at that time uh, needed some way to... Uh, maintain its uh, integrity and power because, you know, by that, by 300 uh, AD, the Roman Empire was dissipating and breaking up. And uh, so, in order to bring some cohesion there, uh, the new uh, cult of uh, Christos, which was basically uh, out of the Greek uh, tradition of the followers of, of Jesus, and others uh, in that area. And these folks were brought together by, or under the auspices of, of Constantine. And in that meeting of, in Nicaea in uh, 325 AD, there was really a consensus developed that if we're going to be the next religious power uh, or the first uh, sort of international uh, religious power, we've got to claim that our God is really the God of the universe, the one that created everything. And they went through this uh, evolution of theology, or the creation of theology, actually, uh, to uh, propagate the notion that uh, of all of these stories you heard in the past and all of these gods who might have been on the earth... Uh, the one that we worship is the one that really is the creative force of the universe. And it is uh, related to Jesus and, and his mother and so on. And then that uh, uh, establishment of that body 
uh, of religion. It was designated one of the official religions of the Roman Empire, or the, the <coughs> Roman uh, hope to be another empire. And then it became gradually used as the official uh, religion of that empire. And everybody who was outside of that, whether you were Gnostics or you were Egyptians or you were uh, uh, people from Persia and so on, you were then the enemy and you had to be physically through uh, war strategies to dominate all of these other belief systems. Mm-hmm. And that's what led to our, you know, the, the rise of Christianity and, and the Roman Church. And it and also the rise of, of uh, the, the black-white dichotomy and, and religious wars. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. And then, uh, well, the, bit, the first part of that was, you know, to dis- disrupt and s- subjugate all of the uh, natural religions, uh, uh, found. Yes, I wanted to ask you about the shift from naturalism to supernaturalism. That was f- quite fascinating. Well, uh, see, my hypothesis is here, and I think the evidence suggests it. We just haven't looked at it through these uh, lens. Uh, these cults started out, and even the Hebrew uh, uh, cults, the uh, uh, Indus Valley cults, uh, the Egyptians and so on, they they were worshiping these gods, but they knew that they were physical gods who had actually been here and that were expected to return at some point. And I call that natural spirituality because you accepted these gods as just advanced beings, but you looked at the universe you know, as a magical place, uh, the whole universe has energies in it, and and we are uh, connected to those energies, and that's where you get all of the, uh, you know, celebrations of the changing of the seasons, uh, uh, giving credit to the sun and to the oceans, and 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 nature in general. I mean, nature in general was seen as part of the powerful universe. These gods were just uh, individual beings that you know could fly around and get away and and come back and help us and demand things of us so uh, that that was all natural even though uh, and by the way they they weren 't called gods in those days and they were called devos uh, deos uh, depending on the 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 indo European language that was being used they were just beings from the skies mm-hmm. at carried on uh, until this period of early Roman uh, Christianity when they started using the terms, you know, uh, God and Gott from the old German to imply that this Yahweh we're talking about is not one of those individual gods. Not your little local garden variety God. Variety. It is. It is. He was the real uh, uh, supreme, supreme, whatever term you want to use. And then that, when you say, when you claim you have the the uh, supreme one, then you have a moral right to destroy uh, any culture that doesn't believe in the supreme one. And it was just a matter of self-aggregation, <laughs> you know. Mm, self-aggrandizement, too, yeah. Inflation of your own uh, uh, role in the universe. And if you take force and use that force to condition people to accept that belief over several hundred years, humans forget real natural world that preceded that uh, belief system. Yeah. Let, let's jump backwards for a moment. Um, in your in the Sumerian uh, texts and the um, the re- legends or reports of of the Anunnaki, um, the common accepted understanding is that the advanced beings came to Earth to set up mining operations. Um, 
it, it kind of reminds me of this gr- land grab of the Western powers on Africa and the, the undeveloped world, you know, each one staking out their claim. And it seems like they're trying to do the same thing on the moon. So it, it, it felt like the advanced beings were staking out their claims all around the planet. Yes, I think so. Uh, I think the early ones uh, were focused in uh, Africa. Uh, and I say that because, uh, you know, mainstream science has pretty well dated the uh, appearance of Homo sapiens uh, from Homo erectus types about 250,000, 300,000 years ago. Uh, and that was the first break in this gradual process of, of evolution of the uh, Homo uh, genus and uh, the earlier uh, evolution of all kinds of of uh, species on on earth now you know we could say that ab's may have been responsible for bringing seeds of life to earth and were involved in that uh, evolutionary trajectory all along i don't think that's very important i mean it could be or it could not be uh, i think what is important is that a slowly uh, evolving set of beings which were scattered around all the continents on the earth up until about, uh, uh, you know, 100 to 200,000 years ago. And then you had this break. And then again, about 100,000 years ago, you had the Homo sapiens sapien jump. That cannot be explained by the evolutionary uh, DNA uh, natural selection process I think the other thing you mentioned in your book that couldn't be explained was these discontinuous leaps in technology, the, the sudden flowerings of advanced technologies. No, that, that is a, so if you, if you hypothesize that uh, there are several areas of evidence that all fit together, you look at the fossil record, you look at then technology, and, and you know, people like Michael Cremo and others have uh, documented artifacts that indicate the presence of high technology on this earth, really, you know, hundreds of thousands of years, and maybe in some cases, maybe even a million years. So those kinds of evidence suggest that we might have, the planet might have been visited, you know, over the millennia or uh, even, even longer. Uh, but I, I think the, what's crucial to us is that uh, homo sapien, homo sapien, sapien leap, and then how humans were divided at that point. You had the, uh, all of us on the planet today have, um, you know, this homo sapien uh, gene pool to a very significant degree. But there are groups who, uh, uh, we had, we, we say aboriginal people, uh, uh, we have the people who found in, were found in Java and other places uh, who are different from most modern humans. So some people were outside of this A-B intervention. And then you have the movement into Eurasia, uh, something less than 100,000 years ago, where we began to see uh, new races uh, arise uh, with a little bit different genetic input. Mm-hmm. That process went on for uh, quite a long time before the cataclysm. And those areas of evidence, you see, I'm not just creating this timeline and pushing the data into it. It's the data from DNA, the fossil record, the artifacts, uh, the history of, of the planet and its natural uh, evolution, th- they all fit together. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, let's go back to the shift to the supernatural, from the natural to the supernatural concept. I found really quite fascinating your description of the, the sort of spiritual stance, spiritual position of Jesus, and how um, his teachings were co-opted and distorted by the Roman Empire for their own political purposes. 
Oh, yeah. Well, modern Christianity uh, is not uh, built on the pure uh, teachings of Jesus. As best we know, you know, there's, we don't really have a solid record of any of those teachings, but uh, scholars who have tried to infer using many, many different sources and, and, and uh, interpretations of the text have found, you know, that, that there are some basic teachings that appear to be his message uh, and I, I'm ready to say this is a, a credible body of, of teachings like Buddha left one and Lao Tzu left one, you know, 500 years before Jesus. So, uh, and, you... and the essence of the teaching, the, the sort of, of um, ability to connect directly to the God source, yeah. Uh, is what um, I think religions found so threatening because they they would lose their control as intermediaries to God. Yeah, yeah. Just think of the uh, the cults before Jesus. In other words, the priesthood and the royalty, the pharaohs or the kings or the queens said, "We are the only ones who can communicate with Baal or Yahweh or or uh, some other god." Uh, so they. Uh, appropriated this role of being the channel of the message of the gods. So that same model, and those were the gods who were uh, physical beings that had actually ruled on earth. So what happened with the Roman approach to the teachings of Jesus was to say, okay, this, this guy with his teachings they were so good, they've animated a lot of people to change their lives, to do different ways, and they are emotionally involved and so on, uh, which, if they had stayed in that level, would have been a very significant and positive uh, uh, initiative on, on, the his, you know, on the earth and the history of human beings in terms of cultural, social norms, principles, rules, etc. Et uh, so, what happen is they, they took advantage of this emotional following and then went back and grabbed the old cult notion mm -hmm. of the gods having uh, chosen some leaders to represent them. And so uh, in Nicaea, they said, well, the god of the universe, the, the, the creator of all, uh, is now speaking only through us. And we interpret then, and we will take Jesus's teachings and put it in this larger, older, cult uh, kind of model. Mm -hmm. And that's what we had. And so now we have a dilemma in modern society. A lot of people uh, believe in that supernatural model, uh, but they are willing to live according to the teachings of, you know, the, what we call the social gospel. Mm -hmm that Jesus taught uh, in terms of the way they live with others and they live on the earth and so on. And uh, that doesn't make any uh, problem for anybody as long as whatever they believe in terms of the su supernatural realm. But what happened is then you had the political system take over the uh, power of that message and the creation of the notion of a supernatural realm. Uh, before that time, humans didn't think in terms of a supernatural realm. They thought in terms of a, a, a reality in which we humans are here and other beings are there and other beings are doing this and we are sub, uh, subjected to their force and so on. Uh, so people are Academics today talk about, you know, supernaturalism is something that goes back from the beginning. Uh, that is a modern concept uh, attributed to history. It's really ironic. Um, the, the more you think of it, it's terribly ironic that the current um, suppression of uh, UFO and ET information and contact information by the political uh, establishment, it goes hand in hand 
with this um, encouragement of fundamental religion. And one can only somewhat cynically think that this is to keep the people suppressed and controlled, and if you will, in the dark. Yeah, well, this is, you know, what happened is this, this uh, uh, centralized control uh, by the papacy and then by the other, as, as Christianity broke up and Islam came on, and a certain degree, uh, the Judeo tradition uh, flourished again after it had been more or less decimated by the Romans. Uh, they all had this supernatural notion, and they were all willing to to wield the power that that concept gave them. You know, to have uh, control over social behavior, on on what people's education was how they were supposed to relate to each other, and so on, which was to worship the theology, the the theocracy that they had created. Mm -hmm. And that was the Dark Ages. When that happened uh, in the 3rd and 4th, 5th centuries, we started the Dark Ages again. Uh, And science was uh, suppressed. Uh, uh, Paganism, naturalism... Uh, was suppressed. And then we had a renaissance, you know, 500 years or so ago, and we had the period of enlightenment where uh, this natural spirituality, the, this this natural way of looking at the universe, including natural uh, mm-hmm. beings more advanced than we are. And do you think we're in the midst of a new renaissance? I mean, there, there's been a wildly discontinuous leap in development of science and technology in the past 100 years or so. Well, I, I think that when we, I think we are uh, planting the seeds of a new renaissance, uh, science and uh, academic uh, mainstream scholars are not yet open enough to consider these possibilities, but it is slowly happening with just the, uh, you know, general public getting ahead of science and getting ahead of the academic uh, perspective and leaving this theocratic uh, myth that was created 1,500 years ago. Mm -hmm. And I think that there is some possibility. I'm going to be speaking at a conference of uh, mainstream uh, academics in August, uh, first kind of meeting, first meeting of, of this kind, which focuses on big history. In other words, taking an interdisciplinary approach to history and looking at all kinds of new evidence and new areas of research. And I've proposed to present and suggest to that uh, conference that let's, just for intellectual uh, excitement or uh, stimulation, let us assume that these old texts that we have dismissed as illusion and delusion might actually be the, uh, uh, the, the residue of the written history of the past. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And then what if, if that is the case, what, was it, what impact did it have on human history up to this point? And that's when we can talk about doesn't matter whether you believe that these stories were real if you start looking at how the propagation of those stories impacted on our history uh, then we will be able to take a I think a different look and we can begin to ask the question well okay so uh, how, how did it happen that a few people on one part of the earth could create a mythology of supernaturalism uh, and then uh, physically uh, enforce it for a long enough period that we change the whole uh, direction of of human evolution. Mm -hmm. So historians and other academics should be uh, looking at this, saying, okay, what is the real history that we know and what are the forces that caused it to happen in this direction rather than the natural uh, direction that existed before uh, mm-hmm. Christianity? Mm-hmm. What do you think is needed to overcome the divisions in society? 
Well, I think the first thing that we need to do is we need to be we need to talk about and i just had breakfast with a friend uh, this morning who is a very fundamentalist uh, christian with very literal kind of beliefs uh but we have been able to say to each other look i understand your view and i don't agree with that but you know we've got a lot of other interest at heart in the community in which we live that that's what we're going to work on and you don't agree with my theological view but it's okay it's my belief system and let's forget those differences and let's find the common ground in the real world about how we ought to live and work together with each other and how we civilly uh, talk about our differences mm-hmm. and i think if we start doing something like that on a wide spread scale saying let's let's uh T- take a uh, time out on our dis- religious discussions and differences and just let each group believe what he wants, what it wants, but we're not going to try to impose it on anybody else, and we're going to talk about the issues of surviving on this planet and so on. Now, that's a little idealistic because some of the worldviews that people have believe that God will do whatever he wants to to destroy us and so we don't have to worry about taking responsibility ourselves but i think that's a very small number uh, uh, it, it seems like the the religions have enforced this kind of polarity you're with me or you're against me you're on the side of good or you're on the side of satan and um ironically uh, the the teachings of Jesus from some of the the other gospels like the gospel of Thomas and and so on are so much more in the center um integrating the polarities showing the commonalities um do you think that there's um uh, I, I get the sense that the new consciousness is a movement towards this this integrative uh, worldview Oh, no, I think that's right. And and if we could, um, uh, for example, uh, you mentioned I was an ordained minister in my youth. Uh, uh, I, I, I would uh, like to have a social dialogue around the teachings of Buddha and Lao Tzu and Jesus, and particularly in our culture about those of, of Jesus, uh, going to something called the Gospel of Q, uh, which was written by uh, some scholars a few years ago, which tried to distill, you know, what what we can generally agree upon as the as the Jesus uh, teachings. Mm-hmm. And if we were to focus on that, are the Buddhist, are the 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 Taoist mm-hmm. perspective in the East, and and try to say, okay, this is what is common. Let let's try to focus on that. Uh, I think that's what we have to do. The problem is, is that the people who have control of the media, of the pulpit, mm, whether yeah. it's a political pulpit or a religious pulpit, uh, well, I'll, 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 don't want to give that up. No, they don't. It's the old politics again. Well, I'm afraid we're out of time. Paul, your, your website is vonward.com, V-O-N-W-A-R-D.com. That's correct. Well, I want to thank you so much for being with us today. Listeners, we've been talking to Paul Von Ward about his book, We've Never Been Alone, A History of Extraterrestrial Intervention. Paul, thank you so much for sharing your profoundly thought-provoking work with us today. Thank you so much, Miriam. It's been a pleasure. Well, next week, our guest will be Jonathan Ellerby, and we'll be talking about The Promise of Paradise, a little book about the life-changing lessons he learned from the tr- living in the tropics and a motivational guide to making great moves in your life. We have a track from Transcendance, a fantastic new album by Michael Bernard Beckwith. It's an awesome mix of irresistible dance music and the transformational teachings of Michael. This track is called Energetic Shapeshifter. Will you be made whole? 
Yeah.